0: ETF Prime is hosted by Nature Racing, president of investment advisory firm, the ETF Store. This program is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Investing in ETFs involves risk, including potential loss of principal. Any past performance figures discussed are not necessarily indicative of future results. The ETF store is not affiliated with Vetify or any of its affiliates. Vetify's participation in this program should not be construed as an endorsement or indication by Vetify of the value of any ETF store product or service. Visit ETFstore.com for more information. How can investors access innovative companies? One way is through Invesco's Innovation Suite. It offers access to the world's most groundbreaking companies that have demonstrated a strong commitment to innovation through research and development, including patents. Invesco offers a variety of options across all sizes and types of innovative companies. Explore the possibilities at Invesco.com Innovationsuite.
1: Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus with this information. Read it carefully before investing. Risks involved with investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETFs are subject to risks similar to those of stocks. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Now it's time for ETF Prime, where we discuss everything you need to know about exchange-traded funds and the world of investing. Whether you're an investing expert or just starting out, Nate will help you get up to date with what's happening on Wall Street and show you how exchange-traded funds can help lower your investment costs, reduce your tax bill, and allow you to take advantage of investment opportunities around the world. And now, the host of ETF Prime, Nate
2: Geraci. All right, fantastic podcast this week. Joining me will be Matt Tuttle, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Tuttle Capital Management, who is behind the recently launched Long Kramer Tracker ETF, ticker LGEM, and the Inverse Kramer Tracker ETF, SGEM. As you may be aware, these ETFs attempt to track the stock picks of CNBC's Jim Kramer. So the Long One is obviously trying to mimic or capture Jim Cramer's stock picks and then the inverse one is attempting to do the opposite and we are going to get into everything here Uh, I'm going to have Matt explain exactly how he's tracking Cramer's stock picks which if you just pause and think about that for a moment uh, that particular job uh, it's certainly not for everyone so uh, we'll find out how Matt's managing that I'm also very curious to hear whether Matt ran into any issues trying to get these through the SEC, uh, or even with Jim Cramer himself, when you think about the intellectual uh, property angle of using Cramer's name in these ETFs. So we'll talk about that. We'll obviously look at a few holdings in these ETFs. We'll discuss how uh, Matt Tuttle might market these, wh- whether he can use Jim Cramer's tweets and those sorts of things. Like I said, we're going to try to cover it all. Uh, it should be a great conversation. Also joining me this week will be Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise, who just today, they launched the Bitwise Bitcoin Strategy Optimum Yield ETF ticker BITC. So this is a futures-based Bitcoin ETF. But the differentiator here is they're attempting to optimize the role of those futures contracts. They're, they're attempting to minimize any negative return drag. So we'll look at that ETF. I'm sure that will uh, inevitably devolve uh, into at least some spot Bitcoin ETF talk. Not because of Matt, obviously because of me. And then I also want to get Matt's take on the current Bitcoin and crypto markets overall. I mean, if, if you look, Bitcoin's had a spectacular run so far this year, up around 70%. So I'm curious to hear why Matt thinks that is. Now, to start this week... I have on the line with me one of my favorite ETF experts, Todd Rosenbluth, head of research at Vetify, and this should be good. We're going to look at the three biggest ETF research trends on the Vetify platform right now. Now, we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data
1: analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time.
3: $800 billion. I think we have to say that again. billion and counting
1: for an industry that is is
3: still growing in size is impressive.
2: Todd, always a uh, pleasure. Thanks for joining me this week.
3: Uh, My pleasure, Nate. you got a great lineup ahead of you, but uh, I'm the one not named Matt.
2: (laughs) I'm very excited about the uh, the podcast this week, if you can't tell. Um, So look, we are going to get into the three biggest ETF research trends that you're seeing on the Vetify platform right now. And I thought just briefly... Give us a little background here. Like, how exactly are you uh, measuring this? Sure.
3: So I think the audience probably knows Vetify consists of various ETF-related platforms, ETF trends, ETF database, advisor perspectives. And as you wouldn't be surprised, we track the traffic on our platforms so that we and our clients can understand investor sentiment and we can provide analytics on an aggregate advisor behavior. So we're aware on a top-down perspective what trends are emerging or fading. We're aware on a bottom-up perspective what tickers are in and out of favor. And we look on a monthly basis to see what ETFs and what topics are driving uh, that are popping, uh, where we're seeing stronger investor sentiment or weaker investor sentiment. And then occasionally, as we've done, because March has been a pretty unique period of time, We've gone mid-month, and Lara Krieger heads up this effort to dive into the data, and obviously we're going to talk about one of those trends. I'll tease it right now. Regional banking just really soared to the top of it, and we needed to make sure we were aware of that mid-month instead of waiting until the end of the month.
2: Well, let's dive into these. So you you mentioned regional banking. I have a feeling that probably won't surprise anyone that that's one of the the, the biggest research trends on Vetify, just given the headlines right now. But give us some details here behind that.
3: Yeah. So, and, And what's important to note is people are coming to learn about these ETFs either because they own them and they want to know what's inside the ETF because not all regional banking ETFs or even bank ETFs are constructed the same, uh, they might uh, be interested in actually looking to buy as well. And so what we saw was huge engagement in regional banking ETFs, and in particular, the SPIDER Regional Bank ETF, KRE, and the iShares US Regional Bank ETF, IAT, we saw more than a tripling in the traffic. Uh, This is mid-month of March versus mid-month of February. But what was actually the bigger surprise to us was the three times leverage ETF DPST? This is from Direxion, uh, the daily regional bank bull three times ETF. This had a five fold increase, not a three times increase, a five fold increase during that period of time. And, and wouldn't surprise you, three times leverage ETF, uh, when, when the stocks inside are falling, this ETF uh fell sharply because leverage can quickly work against you, not just for you. So really strong engagement in regional banking ETFs and financial ETFs in general, as we saw a swing towards that sector versus the broader other sector universe.
2: I mentioned that the fact that regional banking ETFs are seeing a lot of interest is probably not a huge surprise. But if you look at performance, Todd, which I'm sure you have, So I I was pulling these this morning. KRE, the the Spider S&P Regional Banking ETF, you mentioned, that's down 25% year-to-date. The iShares U.S. Regional Banks ETF, IAT, down 28%. The Direction, uh, three times ETF you mentioned, DPST, down 65%. I'll toss another one in there. The Invesco KBW Regional Banking ETF, KBWR, down 17%. I'm just curious why – Do you think there's been so much interest in this space, given the fact that it's getting absolutely uh, bludgeoned right now? Do you think this is just bottom fishing? And so investors and advisors are researching to say, hey, maybe this is a good spot to dive in. Which ETF should I use? Or do you think there's something else going on? So I
3: I do think some of that is bottom fishing. And we have seen net inflows into into KRE in particular. Now, some of that could be, you know, for shorting purposes, to create to lend, because to get exposure to the space – etfs offer significant liquidity but i also do think that people want to just better understand what's inside the portfolio again that's a mantra i've had over various firms of go under the hood and look inside the portfolio but kre and iat those two etfs we talked about are quite different you know kre is equally weighted so most of the positions are two percent or so of the portfolio you have more small cap exposure if you wanted to believe that regional banks were going to hold up overall and you want, and there would be a flight to quality, IAT is the better of those two choices because it's more concentrated in the larger cap of those companies. Uh, and so I, I think people are wanting to just do their homework, and they can use the tools that we have at Vetify to be able to, to help them out.
2: And I think you were alluding to this, but it sounds like you're seeing at least some spillover, uh, into broader financials, a little bit of uptick in research activity around something like the uh, financial select sector spider ETF XLF. Is, is that correct?
3: That's correct. So, and uh, you know XLF, the ETF that's tied to S and P 500 companies within the financial services sector, it only has now twenty four twenty five percent exposure to banks uh, because it has exposure to Berkshire Hathaway as well as now it has Visa and Mastercard as uh, thanks to the GIF changes and companies like S&P Global. So it isn't just a banking ETF, but people are interested in this sector, one, because it's performing badly, but two, they just want to understand what's inside it. So we are seeing uh, overall sentiment and, and interest in learning more about financial ETFs. And that's just something that helps us and helps our clients understand the, the sector sentiment trends.
2: And just for comparison, I gave the performance of some of those regional banking ETFs. XLF is down a little over 8% uh, year year to date. Um, Okay, Todd, so let's move on here. Give us the second biggest ETF research trend you're seeing on the Vetify platform right now.
3: So this one probably isn't a surprise, but what's interesting, and maybe we'll talk about what ETFs um, jump out of this. This There's been a flight to quality, very strong interest in short-term treasury ETFs. These are Yielding roughly 4% uh, because of the thanks to the Federal Reserve raising interest rates uh, and because of the uncertainty in the marketplace. So we saw really strong engagement uh, both month to month and year over year in a couple of State Street ETFs. So year over year, and Laura Krieger just put out a video on this this morning, uh, so folks should check that out uh, on Twitter um, and I think other social platforms, the Spider Bloomberg one- to three-month T-bill ETF, B-I-L-L, it saw uh, significant engagement, a five-fold increase year over year. Um, So as of where we are now from the last month or so, you know, rolling month through mid-March, through mid-March of of 2022, five-fold increase. On the shorter-term basis, pun unintended, uh, the sibling product, B-I-L-S, which is the Spider Bloomberg three to 12 month t bill ETF. Uh, It saw a doubling in its overall engagement in the month of February alone. And I think this is what's interesting to me is we saw engagement, we saw interest, and then we've seen flows. So BILS has pulled in nearly $400 million since the beginning of March. So it isn't just people are tracking uh, and looking at this ETF on our platform. They're also putting money to work after they do that. And there's probably some correlation to that, not just causality, but it's just exciting to us to see that the the tools that we have at Vetify are helping the audience understand what's out there, understand newer tools. BILS is probably a lesser known ETF versus Bill or some of the other products in the short-term space.
2: I'm glad you brought up flows. You you know, it's funny. I, I think, you know, I love going through This Vetify uh, data, I I think it just offers such an interesting window into what investors and advisors are doing. But, you know, in the past, a lot of times when you'll see this uptick in research activity around certain segments of the ETF market, I I like looking over at flows and seeing if it comports. And and to your point, I I think largely it does. I I think, as you know, short-term treasury ETFs as a whole are having a monster year. But I, I was looking again this morning. So I show that for... Of the top 15 ETFs in terms of inflows this year are what, what I would consider short-term treasury ETFs. So uh S-Gov, the iShares zero-to-three-month uh, treasury bond ETF, S-C-H-O, the Schwab short-term U.S. treasury ETF, the, uh, the, the, the one you mentioned, the Spider Bloomberg one-to-three-month T-bill ETF, BIL, and then uh, the iShares short treasury bond ETF, S-H-V. So I, I think that's interesting to see that um, – that, that uptick in, in flows as well. And I, I did want to ask you, Todd, I, I know we're going to get to the uh, the third trend as well, but I saw you had a uh, a really nice piece that you posted yesterday titled, Once Again, Bond ETFs Provide Diversification Benefits, where you noted that after a very tough uh, 2022, bonds are working again. And you weren't specifically talking about short-term treasury ETFs, but I think they, they fit. Just bonds in general uh, are working and I think that's interesting because I'm sure you remember all of those uh, death of the 6040 uh, port- portfolio uh, headlines last year Do you, you want to comment on that at all because I remember you and I talking about this a little bit in 2022 and I think we both were like hey hey, hey let's slow down a little bit on the the talk of the death of the 6040 portfolio.
3: That's right. So I guess a couple of quick comments. One, headlines don't normally come out that say everything is good and continue to do uh, <laughs> what you were doing. So the sky isn't falling is one of those things that gets headlines. So I thought it was just, since I have the privilege of choosing my headlines uh, with the support of the editorial team at Vetify, I thought I could get away with saying, "Yep, it's okay to go back into the sixty forty portfolio." It's working, because it is. So if you had exposure or more exposure towards AGG, the iShares Core Aggregate Bond ETF, and BNDX, the Vanguard Total International Bond ETF, uh, and I'm just using those as proxies for core U.S. and core international fixed income exposure, you actually would be outperforming a 80-20 uh, equity fixed income portfolio uh, using the 60-40 slice um, And that's just a good sign of it. But what we're really seeing is that after years of a low-rate environment, advisors are interested in learning about the income component to a bond ETF's total return. They're not just looking at price return or they shouldn't just be looking at it the way they do with a stock fund. And they're wanting to get more insight into terms like duration and maturity that they've never needed to pay attention to in the last 5, 10 years. But now, because the Fed has raised rates, they likely may do so one more time this week. Duration matters. Uh, And I think advisors and investors are benefiting from a healthy slice to their fixed income portfolio.
2: That's right. Income uh, out of bonds. Who would have ever thought that that was possible? (laughs) But uh, we we have that now. Uh, All right, Todd, just a few minutes left here. Give us the third biggest ETF research trend you're seeing right now.
3: Sure. So before regional banking was the topic or flavor of the month, artificial intelligence was. Ah. And in the month of February, we saw huge spikes in engagement with ETFs that were connected to AI. But there's a notable difference between an ETF like the First Trust NASDAQ artificial intelligence and robotics ETF, ROBT, and an ETF like the AI Powered Equity ETF, AIEQ. So they both refer to artificial intelligence or AI for short, but they're quite different. So ROBT, Robot, I guess is how I would say the ticker, owns shares of companies like Mobileye and Sienna that are enabling or enhancing AI, whereas AIEQ uh, is using artificial intelligence to pick stocks. And it has top positions in completely untechnology related companies like Marsh and McLennan and Las Vegas Sands. So completely different portfolios, not surprisingly, the performance is not going to be the same over time. And I think it just one, it highlights that a trend like artificial intelligence can come up and can come up in multiple ways. But where I'm a big believer in our, in our investor sentiment tools and how they can help an asset manager or us uh, understand what's going on in a self-service way. There's the benefit of working with us and being able to have full service support so we can walk through the insights instead of just seeing a spike in it and then launching your own AI ETF. Maybe that's not what people want. Maybe people want AI-powered
2: ETFs. But just to be clear, you're saying that you're seeing an uptick in interest in both of these categories, both uh, artificial intelligence-driven ETFs, but then also ETFs that uh, invest in the artificial intelligence industry. Is that correct?
3: That's correct. We're seeing it in both. And, and, you know, a piece that Lara Krieger, I, I keep citing her because this is, I, I'm sitting on the shoulders of the great work that she did, uh, to, to pull this data together and, and highlight it. Uh, we saw a spike in those respective ETFs. So both, I'm using ROBT as an example mm-hmm. because it was one of the ones we saw and AIEQ because we saw a spike in engagement. Yeah, might have int- yeah, looked inside the portfolio and then realized this isn't AI that I thought it was.
2: Yeah, it's just interesting to me because I feel like maybe over the past couple of years prior to uh, 2023, certainly 2022, you, you know, crypto and crypto-related ETFs were the big topic. It does feel like I see artificial intelligence uh, is the topic du jour everywhere uh, and and so it's interesting that that's translating into the interest around these ETFs. But to your point, there's some very big differences between AI-driven ETFs and ETFs covering the, uh, the artificial intelligence industry.
3: Exactly. So it's important. Again, uh, you know, if I, if I could have one thing on my tombstone in 50 years, it's look inside the portfolio. Uh, it matters.
2: Perfect uh, ending spot for our conversation, Todd. Great stuff as always. Uh, again, I just love getting a window into this type of ETF research data. Just always find it interesting to see what other investors are doing. Thank you for joining me this week. My
3: pleasure, Nate. Thanks a lot for having us.
2: That was Todd Rosenbluth, head of research
1: at veta Is it time to amplify your income potential? Explore what a high-quality covered call strategy can do for your monthly income needs. Discover Amplify DIVO and IDVO, providing monthly income potential and active management in the efficiency of an ETF. When income matters to you, explore Amplify ETFs. Get current monthly yields at amplifyyields.com. There's no guarantee that distributions will be made. Investing risk includes principal loss. ETFs are subject to covered call risk. Visit amplifyetfs.com to view a prospectus which includes investment objectives, risks, fees, expenses, and other information that you should read and consider carefully. Amplify ETFs are distributed by Foreside Fund Services LLC.
2: is Matt Tuttle, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Tuttle Capital Management, who at the beginning of March, they launched the Long Kramer Tracker ETF, ticker LGIM, L-J-I-M, and the Inverse Kramer Tracker ETF, s uh, Of course, these attempt to track the stock picks of CNBC's Jim Kramer and then either uh, follow them or do the exact opposite and Matt is now joining me from Connecticut. Matt, always a uh, pleasure. Welcome back to the podcast. Hey,
4: yeah, yeah, thanks for having me back.
2: All right, so as I think you know, I always love me a, a good backstory, and I feel like I saw the idea for these ETFs uh, floated around on Twitter for for quite a while, but obviously Nobody brought these ETFs to market. So uh, I'm very curious, when did this concept first appear on your radar? And uh, what made you decide to ultimately bring these ETFs to uh, fruition?
4: Yeah, so, you know, in a general sense, it was actually a long time ago. You know, I've always kind of known that the consensus is wrong when it comes to the market. And, you know, I'm always kind of looking for a way to monetize that. And, you know, then probably, you know, right around the time that we did Sark, the idea of, Oh my God, Jim Cramer is, is the answer to my prayers here because, you know, Jim Cramer's the consensus on steroids, you know, not only is he out there, you know, swinging at every single pitch, you know, hey Jim, what do you think of oil? Semiconductors, you know, on and on and on. He you know, also has an amazing, you know, I call it a reverse midas touch, where he's just got the ability to make these calls that are just so epically wrong. So really I, I think, you know, the idea's gone back a long time, but it came to fruition around the time we were doing Sark and Kind of thinking of, of different ways to look and use ETFs.
2: Was it difficult at all getting these through the SEC? Were there any specific concerns that they raised?
4: Yeah, you know, we're we're used to trying to get first of its kind products uh, through the SEC, and you know, incognizant that, you know, their their role is, is going to be a little bit added scrutiny to, to things that haven't been done before. Um, their main issue, or really their only issue beyond, you know, just the, the minutia, was, you know, the Kramer name. Um, and so what we did is we added Tracker to the end of it, and, and that was fine. And actually I like that better. So, yeah, it, t- it took longer than you normally would. You know, certainly had some more eyes on it, which, yeah, we expected going in. You know, I really didn't think we were going to do the typical 75 days and, hey, we're effective thing on this anyway.
2: You mentioned uh, the-, the SEC and the Kramer name. One One question I have is around. Intellectual property. And I'm certainly no IP attorney, but uh, from my uh, layman's perspective, eh, look, you're clearly using Jim Cramer's name and I would say leaning into his uh, notoriety, so to speak. Was that an issue at all from an intellectual property perspective? perspective because I would have thought that maybe you would have needed Jim Kramer's consent or I, I don't know perhaps even pay him or is that just not how this works or is it because you're using tracker after his name that that wasn't an issue
4: so you know in one of our comment letters I think the SEC asked a question um, and you know we answered it and and they backed off I mean at the end of the day I don't think that's you know, that's not their purview. I mean, they're looking to protect investors. You know, I don't know that they care if, you know, Kramer comes after me for the name or not. Um, And, you know, and so besides that, I I have not heard from anybody. Um, It seems like CNBC is taking the stance of, hey, we're just going to completely and totally ignore this, Um, which, which is fine with me.
2: Okay, yeah, it'll just be interesting, I guess, from my perspective that I, I, I don't know if, if somehow you get a stock picks wrong, like you misinterpret what he's saying or something like that. I, I don't know if he could come after you for some sort of disparagement claim or, or anything along those lines. Again, I, I'm certainly no IP attorney, but it, it doesn't sound like you have uh, any concerns, at, at least at this point in time. Um, OK, so no, let's not, go ahead. Not yeah. at this point. OK.
4: Yeah, no, no, no concerns at this point, And. You know, for him to actually do that, he'd have to kind of acknowledge our existence, which he, you know, when we filed, he certainly did. And then I think he probably got a tap on the shoulder and, you know, hasn't said a word since we've been out.
2: All right, so let's talk about the ETFs themselves. And it's funny, Matt. I guess I picture you like with your uh, eyes taped open, watching Mad Money or other Jim Cramer appearances on CNBC, or when he's out tweeting. Explain for us exactly how you're tracking his stock picks.
4: And and that's basically it. I mean, it is. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's tortuous, but you know, so he's on CNBC from like eight. 50 to 10 o'clock, so we're watching that, um, and we've got three guys watching it. And, and basically, what we're looking for are specific: hey, buy, buy, buy this, or sell, sell, sell this. Uh, we're also watching Mad Money. What I have found, luckily, is that if I tape watch, if I tape Mad Money, I can skip through like the CEO interviews, so it's not as bad. Still not great, but it's not as bad. And, again, same deal. We're looking for, you know, re- specific buy, 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 sell, sell, sell. And we're watching his tweets during the day. And, again, looking for specific actionable items. What I, you know, what we're not trying to do is interpret what he means. I mean, if he comes out and says, hey, I would buy this stock or, you know, hey, you know, short this stock and send me an invitation to your funeral, you know, that stuff is pretty clear, and, and we'll take action on
2: that th- those things. So in terms of the ETFs, I mean, I think this is pretty straightforward. But with LGEM, you're essentially buying a position when Kramer says buy, selling when he sells. And then with SGEM, you're just taking the opposite side of Kramer's uh, stock, or I believe even ETF recommendations, right? You, you may use yeah, so- inverse ETFs. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, so, yeah, S-Jim's going to be long-short. If he says he doesn't like something, we're going to buy it. And if he says he likes it, we're going to short it. Um, And L-Jim is probably going to be long-only unless, and I've never heard him do it, but if he did ever come out and say, hey, I would short this stock, then, yeah, L-Jim will short it. Uh, So, yeah, they are slightly different in that regard. The sell discipline, though, You know, yeah, if he comes out and says, you know, switches a position, then yeah, we would, you know, we would do whatever we needed to do accordingly. He tends not to do that. So, you know, what we're trying to do is keep this fresh. So as new recommendations come in, we'll typically lop off the older ones, unless it's like one of his legacy things. Like I don't know that we'd ever, you know, get rid of things like NVIDIA and Meta and yeah, but stuff like that that he just spawns over every single day.
2: Yeah, talk a little bit more about that, because that gets into determining when a stock pick is, is no longer relevant. And I'm thinking about, I, I I don't know, let's say Jim Cramer recommends Meta or uh, Silicon Valley Bank. He, he recommends those on Mad Money, but then he never speaks of those stocks again. Just talk more about how long you might own or, or short those positions.
4: So, you know, and that's the tough part, because I I don't want the portfolio to get much more than 50 names, because then I think you lose, you know, you lose some benefit once you start getting up there. And, you know, and he's going to talk about when he's not on vacation, he's going to talk about a lot of stocks every day when you throw in mad money. So, you know, you could really quickly get up to like 500 stocks in the portfolio. So basically, I'm I'm starting off with that, hey, I went around 50. And so, you know, if he mentions seven stocks on Mad Money tonight, then I'm going to try to find seven of the older ones. And we keep a spreadsheet by date. We're going to try to find seven of the older ones to take out and replace with seven of the newer ones, again, except for some of his legacy things like, you know, every morning he mentions NVIDIA. So, you know, in, unless he flips on NVIDIA, I don't think we're doing anything with that. He's back in love with Zuckerberg, so I don't think we're doing anything there. And he mentions Bitcoin a lot, so, you know, we've got a bid-o position.
2: Any other recent examples of, of maybe a, a holding or two, let's say an Jim in terms of how it went from uh, Jim Cramer's lips to your ETF?
4: Well, and, and it's really right away. I mean, this morning I was watching. And right before he got off, he said something about Peloton and did his whole funeral thing. (laughs) He said, you know, hey, don't buy Peloton and invite me to your, or whatever, invite me to your funeral. So right after he did that, we shorted Peloton and S-Gym and went long in L-Gym. So, you know, the process is is that quick.
2: And by the way, it's obviously uh, still very early, but I'll note thus far, I, I was checking this morning, S is outperforming the S and P 500 by about four percent, and L is underperforming by about the same. So, just a couple of uh, early data points for listeners. Um, Matt, going—I don't want to get hung up on this, but going back to the intellectual property topic: Are you able to use his uh, name and image and likeness in marketing these ETFs? So, like, let's say he's on CNBC and he's touting Silicon Valley Bank, and then SGM shorts that stock. The stock collapses. Can you use a clip of him to market SGM or use his tweets?
4: So the, the feedback I got on that was it was a gray area, but I probably shouldn't. So if you look at the Kramer ETF's website, you know, I, I was real tempted to have a picture of him right side up and a picture of him upside down. And, yeah, I was advised that maybe I could do that, but probably not a good idea. So, you know, I'm I'm erring on the side of caution. Um, you know, I tend to like to go him on Twitter a bit and don't want to uh, o- overstay my welcome on things like that.
2: No, that makes sense to me. Um, and I, I guess also similar on the marketing of these ETFs, and I think you were alluding to this earlier, um, are you curious at all to see if Jim Cramer actually mentions your ETFs on Mad Money? I don't know if you saw this, so I tweeted this out. This was several weeks ago, but let's say LJM is significantly outperforming. I-, I could see a scenario where uh, Jim Cramer mentions that on his show. Right? Takes a little vic- uh, victory lap. Do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, from a marketing standpoint, I would love it. <laughs> I would. I would love for
4: him to talk about this stuff. Uh, it really does seem, I mean, knowing his ego, knowing this stuff came out, knowing what he was saying when we filed, I really think someone there has, you know, tapped him on the shoulder and said, you know, hey, don't, don't say a word about these things. You know, but to your point, I think the fear is that S-Jim will substantially outperform. And in that case, you know, how, how do you answer that? But if you did have a situation where Elgin were kicking butt, I think there would be a temptation on his part to say, see?
2: I could absolutely uh, see that. H- have you caught any flack for these ETFs? Because I remember when you launched the uh, short innovation ETF, Sark, which, uh, again, shorts the, uh, the the picks of Kathy Wood and ARKK. Some people felt like that was, uh, I I don't know, a personal attack on Kathy Wood or something. They didn't like the optics around that. I know that's not how you approach the ETF, but I'm just curious. Right. Have you heard anything similar regarding these Jim Cramer ETFs?
4: Yeah, I mean, same stuff. You know, it's it's mean-spirited, even though I did both sides. You know, a lot of stuff about it being gimmicky, which, you know, we we got the same stuff on Sark, and I told people, look, no, i I believe Sark is a better hedge and what I believe about S Gym is S Gym is a portfolio diversifier. It's not a gimmick. You know, yeah, if you don't like Jim Kramer and you know, want to put your money in, we get paid on AUM, that's great, but that's not you know, we didn't build it for people who didn't like Jim or people who like Jim. I think L Jim's a tactical trading vehicle and S Gym is a portfolio diversifier. But yeah, I mean I'm hearing the same same types of things we heard with sark
2: yeah and just a couple of minutes left here on that note of how these ETFs might be used you mentioned SGEM as a portfolio diversifier LGM maybe as a, a tactical trade do you see any other use cases for these and and do do you view these primarily as tools for retail investors or you think there could be a more expanded audience than that
4: so I think there could be a more expanded audience um, I think that's going to take time for you know, people are going to want to see it. Um, certainly, you could use something like S Gym as a hedge. It's not going to be a perfect hedge because it's always going to have some, you know, amount, or probably always going to have some part of the portfolio that's long. You know, so right now, it's 65% or so net short. So if you were saying, hey, you know, the market's going to tank, I think there are better hedges. And, you know, theoretically, L Jim in a, raging bull market should do very well. So, but, you know, to me, the main, kind of my main ideas were, you know, S-Jim is just going to be something entirely different. You You know, more like a kind of counter trend methodology where you're fading the consensus, meaning, you know, fading stuff Jim wants to talk about, but also fading stuff that, you know, callers want to call him and ask him about You know, so it's the stuff that's going to be top of mind. So, yeah, I mean, those, I think, are the the best uses for these.
2: Well, Matt, congratulations on the uh, launch of these ETFs. I always say the ETF space never ceases to amaze me. Uh, You've been a big part of that over the past couple of years with some of the ideas you've brought to market, but very interested to continue tracking these ETFs. Best of luck to you, and thank you for joining me this week.
4: All right. Thanks for having me.
2: That was Matt Tuttle, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Tuttle Capital Management. Own Bitcoin but also
1: want income? There is a way to generate monthly income while you hold. Visit Simplify.us for information on the Simplify Bitcoin income strategy. Simplify Asset Management, Inc. is a registered investment advisor. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor. This information is not intended to provide investment advice.
2: Joined by Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise, who just today they launched the Bitwise Bitcoin Strategy Optimum Roll ETF, ticker symbol BITC. This now joins a couple of other crypto related ETFs they offer uh, the Bitwise Crypto Industry Innovators ETF, ticker BITQ, and the Bitwise Web3 ETF, ticker BWEB. Uh, Matt is now on the line with me from San Francisco. Matt, congratulations on the uh, launch, and thank you for joining me.
5: Hello, thanks for having me, Nate. Delighted to be here and uh, delighted to have this product out on the market.
2: Yeah, so let's jump right in here, and uh, then perhaps we can broaden out and talk about the crypto space overall. Certainly a lot going on there. So this ETF offers exposure to CME-traded Bitcoin futures, but the twist is that you're – Uh, managing the rolling of futures contracts. You're not just automatically rolling over into the next month. So explain exactly what you're doing here.
5: Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, you and I go way back in the ETF industry. So we know in the commodity space, there are usually two ETFs for every commodity. There's one that invests in front month futures. You can think of USO. And there's one that optimizes the role where they look at all the available futures and they pick the one that should have the best long-term return that has the least amount of contango or the most amount of backwardation, the least cost from holding that futures contract. And historically, those ones that take an optimized approach have outperformed the front month approach over time because they're making more intelligent decisions. So we took that piece of ETF history and applied it into the Bitcoin space. There are existing Bitcoin futures ETFs out there. But they all tend to invest in the front month or the front two months contracts. And we're taking this optimized role approach borrowed from academia, borrowed from ETF history to design an ETF that's built for long term investors as opposed to short term traders.
2: Regarding those other futures based Bitcoin ETFs on the market, if you look at performance, I would say. Overall, they've tracked the spot price of Bitcoin pretty darn well since they debuted in, uh, what, October of 2021. Not perfectly, but I would say pretty good. And I don't want to get too far into the weeds here, but I am curious as to what sort of opportunities you think could present themselves in the Bitcoin futures curve that would allow you to improve upon that performance. Because, Matt, I'll tell you, I mean, I've talked to some of those other issuers. And I think they would argue that roll costs are a bit overrated. Now, perhaps that's because, you know, a lot of people uh, s- sort of took jabs at these ETFs versus a spot product when they first came out. But I-, I think their argument would be that the Bitcoin futures market has matured. It's become more efficient, that there's no uh, storage costs for Bitcoin so that the roll cost shouldn't be overly uh, consequential. So I'm just curious, how do you view the opportunity here in terms of managing that role?
5: Yeah, first of all, I should say that those are great products, and we think they do a great job for people who are looking to trade Bitcoin in an ETF wrapper. They're really designed for that. It is the case that the level of contango in the Bitcoin market has been relatively uh, small compared to historical averages since those ETFs launched. I think a lot of that has to do with the crushing bear market that Bitcoin went through last year. If you look outside of bear market periods, The Bitcoin futures market has historically traded in a relatively high state of contango, and there has been the opportunity to improve return by looking out the curve. Really, the promise we're making to investors here is: you know, look, if the front-month contract is the best available contract, we're going to be located in that contract just like other ETFs. But if we get into a situation like we had in in 2020 or 2019 or even parts of this year, where you can do better by being in an out-month contract, we're going to go there instead. In other words, we're designed to be better than or equal to a front-month contract. That doesn't mean it will outperform all the time, but at least we're making that decision. So for someone who wants to buy Bitcoin exposure and hold it for a year, for two years, for five years, they don't have to worry about the shape of the Bitcoin futures curve. They'll know that the product is always looking for the best available opportunity.
2: So besides BITC potentially being a longer or a better longer term holding versus the the other futures based Bitcoin ETFs, which maybe are better tactical uh, trading tools, are there any other points of comparison that you would highlight between BITC and, and the other futures based Bitcoin ETFs on the market?
5: Yeah, I think there are probably two other pieces. You know, one thing, one of the reasons we launched this is we work with, you know, well over a thousand financial advisors who are allocating to crypto and client accounts. And one of the things they value aside from just the products we offer is the relationship with Bitwise. So, you know, our, our ETF, if you want to think of it that way, has a 25 person distribution team, has a, has a, a large research team that's focused exclusively on Bitcoin. So there is that service aspect which I think is really important. And there are also some advantages just to being smaller, right? I hope we don't have that advantage forever, but there are some advantages just to being smaller in this market in terms of, uh, you know, being ahead of certain roles and being a little bit more nimble that we hope to apply. So, you know, all those things added together, uh, we think make this a compelling product for financial advisors who really want that long-term allocation to Bitcoin.
2: Sort of related to your first point there, can you talk a little bit more about the importance of what I would call crypto credibility? And I know you and I have discussed this before on the podcast, but th- the way I would lay this out for listeners is that if you're going to invest in a product in a particular area, it doesn't have to be Bitcoin. It can be in any particular n- uh, niche or segment of the market. You know, theoretically, you want somebody who's an expert in that. And so I'm just curious, Matt, how you view, you know, clearly Bitwise is positioned as an expert in crypto. Um, you know, h- how, how does that manifest itself versus maybe an issuer who they're in all sorts of things and they're not necessarily an expert in in the crypto space. Does that make sense?
5: Yeah, I I absolutely know what you're talking about. And, and, you know, what, what we do when we work with financial advisors and they allocate to our funds is we stand behind them with research and with people that advisors can reach out to. So if their client asks them, you know, how is what's going on in the banking sector impacting Bitcoin, they can have the full strength of Bitwise's you know, 60 plus person team answering those questions, financial advisors on the front lines, and particularly in crypto, they're often dealing with clients who are themselves spending a lot of time thinking about this space. And so they need to have good answers if those clients have questions. And that's one of the things we try to do at Bitwise is supply those answers to our advisor clients and let them talk to their clients uh, and come across as experts in the space.
2: One thing I have to ask you, and this won't surprise you at all, but I'm, I'm very consistent every time you join me on ETF Prime. I know Bitwise has been one of the leaders in pursuing a spot Bitcoin ETF. I, you put a ton of work into that initiative over the years. Does the launch of this futures-based ETF um, say anything about your level of optimism or I would say lack thereof? that the SEC will approve a spot Bitcoin ETF anytime soon? Like, is BITC uh, you sort of saying, okay, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll just stick to futures because it could be a while on spot?
5: Yeah, there's an element of that. You know, it's, it's that Rolling Stone song, you can't get what you want, but sometimes you get what you need. <laughs> uh, we do not think there is currently an open window to get a spot ETF approved in the U.S. this year. And so we're offering this long-term design futures product to help investors gain exposure to the space. I will add one more nuance that maybe isn't obvious to people who are outside uh, of the futures space, which is that the landscape's changed from when the first futures launched to today in a meaningful way. And what's changed is that interest rates have gone up. And, of course, when you're allocating to futures, you have collateral that you can invest in treasuries. And so you have this benefit from futures in a high interest rate environment that makes it almost peri to, or maybe even better than spot exposure from a total return perspective in certain environments, depending on the shape of the curve. You know, a fund like this will invest in futures and have a carry of a few percent, which helps boost those returns. So futures are more attractive today than they were two years ago. We would still love to have a spot Bitcoin ETF but we don't think that window is open now and we don't know when it will open. So we've built this product so advisors can allocate to the space.
2: You mentioned, uh, obviously, Bitwise, working with advisors, the the research and the other capabilities you can bring to the table. I'd love to talk a little bit more about where you think Bitcoin fits in a portfolio, that when you're having these conversations with, with advisors, what are you telling them, or what will you tell them about using an ETF like yours? If they, if they have a, a core portfolio built out with all of the asset classes that you would expect, U.S. stocks, international stocks, you know, diversified bond allocation, where, where does Bitcoin fit?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's start with point one, which is that clients, uh, advisors have clients who are allocating on their own. So one place that this fund fits is helping bring those assets inside the advisory relationship so that you can guide behavior, so that you can build your business. That's one important piece. From a portfolio construction perspective, and we've written extensive white papers, we have a publication coming out in the Journal of Finance on um, uh, on its role in a portfolio. And what you see if you study it historically is it's the incredible contributor to long-term risk-adjusted returns at allocations between 1% and 5%, as long as you rebalance regularly. And there are a few important things there. The first is that allocation size, 1% to 5%. If you get above that, you start introducing material risk, material drawdowns into your portfolio that can make it difficult for people to hold. So that's one important piece. And then the second piece is you have to rebalance. You have to treat this the same way you treat stocks, the same way you treat bonds, You have to rebalance so you capture the non-correlated benefit of having this kind of asset in your portfolio. So that's the answer. I like to tell people it's like cayenne pepper. A little bit in your food is fantastic, too much, and you won't be able to breathe. But uh, a little bit does really go a long way here.
2: I I think that's perfectly said. Uh, I've said for a long time that if you were going to invest in a high volatility asset, Uh, such as Bitcoin, it really comes down to those two things. It comes down to position sizing and it comes down to rebalancing. And if you're doing those two things properly, um, something like Bitcoin can be additive to a a diversified portfolio. Uh, Matt, just a couple of minutes left here. Any thoughts on Bitcoin itself right now? You you look, it's up, what, 70%? year to date, uh, after obviously having a very difficult year last year. Is there anything that you're seeing right now in terms of specific drivers?
5: Yeah, I think there are three things that we're seeing. You know, one, crypto has always been a cyclical uh, market. Three up years followed by one pullback year, 2021 to 20 or 2011 to 2013 and a pullback in 2014 and so on. So from some perspective, we were due. We had three up years and then a big pullback last year. And so we've entered this new cycle for crypto. There's a lot of reasons for that. But that's one piece. Two, I do think the cracks we've seen in the traditional banking sector have opened people's minds to the potential value of an alternative system. Now, when I say that, people think that I'm saying people will throw fiat out the window and move exclusively to Bitcoin. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it shifts people's mindset. It widens the Overton window of what they can consider And historically, during banking crises, crypto has done well. And the last piece, which we're really seeing at Bitwise, you know, a lot of investors tax loss harvested and left the market at the end of 2022, but their interest didn't go away. Crypto is still the best performing asset class in the world over the last one, three, five and 10 years. People want this in their portfolio. So we've seen meaningful institutional flows into the Bitcoin and crypto markets I think when you put those three things together, the cyclicality, the cracks in the banking system, and continued institutional interest, you get an up 70% year. We think there's still upside to go, but there's also volatility ahead. So I wouldn't expect it to continue to go up 35% a month. But we do think we're in a new bull market cycle for Bitcoin and for crypto more broadly. And that's one of the reasons we brought the product to market Uh, today with BITC.
2: What's amazing to me is how many times have we seen the obituary written on Bitcoin? And (laughs) you think about all of the negative headlines over the past couple of years in crypto. We don't have to go through them all. I think, you know, most people know what they are. And here you look, Bitcoin is up almost 70% year to date, you know, that's I, I, not investment advice. But I think for somebody looking at this particular category, that has to get your attention because people keep writing it off. And it, it just it's like a uh, I, I don't know, Matt, probably a bad analogy, a cockroach or something. But <laughs> it's not dying, right?
5: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. You know, the amazing thing about being in the crypto market is that all you have to believe in order to be bullish on crypto going forward is that everything that's been happening for the last 12 years will continue to happen the market will continue to grow the number of wallets will continue to grow the hash rate will continue to grow institutional adoption will continue to grow those trends have been in place for over a decade and the weird thing about it is that's sort of considered the radical position people are surprised if you're bullish on this market when all you're saying is that these trends have to continue to persist. The actual radical view is that they will break for some reason. And we don't see any reason why that would be true. It is, it is as you said, people have declared Bitcoin dead. I think the official count is 462 times. <laughs> and like Mark Twain said, you know, rumors of its death have been greatly exaggerated. We're back again up 70% this year.
2: Well, Matt, always enjoy our uh, conversations. Again, congratulations on the launch. Uh, keep up the excellent work you and your team are doing on educating the, the marketplace on, on crypto. Really appreciate that. Thank you for joining me.
5: Thanks for having me.
2: That was Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer at Bitwise. That'll do it for this week's ETF Prime. I want to thank one of our sponsors, Amplify ETFs. If you would like to learn more about Amplify ETFs, you can visit AmplifyETFs.com. Next week, I'll be joined by State Street's Matt Bartolini. We're going to recap the first quarter in ETFs and also cover some other recent ETF stories. And then Darren Shiringa, CEO of Asymmetric, is going to spotlight several of their ETFs. Until then...